0: We're continuing today in our series called Christianity Over Culture. We're going through first Corinthians today we 're in chapter nine if you want to turn there in a Bible if you follow along there um, today 's father 's day and so I do want to recognize our fathers and say thank you to you men for your sacrifice for your leadership um, we need men who are following Jesus we need spiritual leaders in our world in our homes in our churches in our communities and uh, it's a it 's a tall bar it 's a great challenge and uh, most of us feel inadequate and like we 're not living up to uh, the calling but uh, Um, It's a great calling. It's worthy. And uh, so I just want to continue to encourage you. Do something for your dad today. Uh, Usually cooking some meat for him is a good idea if you don't know what to do. That usually works pretty good. But but thank them. Honor them. The role they fill is so so important. And so uh, we want to continue to appreciate them and encourage them. Today the big idea of chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians is motivated by a mission motivated by a mission I wonder what motivates you I wonder what gets you up out of bed in the morning and you can't just say coffee coffee helps motivate us but that doesn't count I'm talking about what is it that drives you what is it that moves you into the things that you have to do the things you need to do what is it that drives you forward you know When I was in high school, I've shared with you guys my testimony a little bit, but when I was in high school, I mean, I made a decision to trust Christ, actually at a VBS when I was five years old. And I was one of those maybe odd kids that it really stuck. I really meant it. I really tried to live for Jesus. There was some change in my life when I was young. But then I hit the teenage years, and those especially were ones of kind of me going back and forth and uh, dipping one foot in the world and trying to fit in there and do some things that I knew God didn't want me to do that weren't honoring to him, and then I'd spend time where I would commit myself to live for God. And so I kind of went back and forth. When I got to college, I was really challenged to give God 100% of my life and really follow him, and I made that decision. And so I set on a course that changed uh, my life. And in that time period, I met uh, my wife. Um, We got married. Um, Within a couple of years, we started having children. And I was seeking God's direction for my life. And I kind of had a conversation with God about what I thought that should look like. I don't know if you guys have tried to have conversations with God about his plan for your life. And uh, God and I had an agreement, I thought, where I would serve him. I said, I love the church. I was raised in the church. My dad was a pastor and missionary. And I mean, I love God. I love the church. I wanted to serve. But I didn't want to do that full time. I didn't want to do that vocationally. I had some issues there. So I said, God, if you just let me, I'll pursue a career, a work, and then I'll serve you in your church. And so um, I thought we had a great understanding on that. And so... um, I went, we moved to Sargent, Nebraska when we got done with school. And my wife was from Sargent. Her family was farm family. They homesteaded back in the 1800s, 1883. And so at this point, her dad was farming. Her brother was there. We moved there and started farming. Her dad said I could come in and and try to learn how to farm and didn't know anything. And so I was a big learning curve, but I was excited about it. I was passionate about it. At the same time, we started getting involved in a little sergeant evangelical free church that my father-in-law and his their family had started the year my wife was born and so uh, we started getting involved there and there was a little youth group and there was some moms mainly that were leading the youth group and they saw us move in and we'd been to bible college and one of them approached me said you should lead the youth group you guys should you know you should lead that and I said okay I'll give that a shot and started to serve there And grew to love it and get excited about it and started to see it grow and see kids grow. And in 1996, which I know was a long time ago, 1996, I was 26, and the pastor there said we should go on a missions trip. And so, uh, of all places, he met a guy and uh, they worked out this trip to Jamaica. Some people don't believe that's really a missions trip. Let me tell you, it was a missions trip. We didn't go to a resort, right? Behind the resorts is a third-world country filled with concrete structures and poverty. And, I mean, we went into those communities. We showed the Jesus film, and we talked to people, a lot of Seventh-day Adventists in Jamaica. We talked to people about Jesus and spent about a week there, and um, it was a great experience, and God was just growing me and challenging me. And we came back, and all of a sudden, I start to have um, the Holy Spirit start to speak into my life about a step that I should take. And I was um, um, not super open to it, right? But God was really pushing and impressing on me that I should take a step to move towards being a pastor. And uh, I really didn't appreciate that conversation. I didn't like it. Um, again, I thought we had an agreement, God and I, about what I was going to do. And uh, this was not going in line with that, right? But he kept kind of yelling and screaming at me in a way that I couldn't turn off. That's not what he was doing, but you know how you, God, God's just in your in your head, in your thoughts, uh, talking to you. And, and he just kept pulling, pulling, pulling. Finally, I went and talked to my pastor. And of course, Mary, my wife, had been praying about this and thinking this is what I should do, probably since we met, you know. So I was on the short bus when it came to this, right? I was kind of slow. I didn't get it. I was struggling with some things. So I went and talked to my pastor, hoping he would give me an answer that would match up with what I wanted to see happen. But of course that didn't happen. He encouraged me. Yeah, I see that. We'll give you an office. We'll make you an associate pastor. (laughs) Okay. So with fear and trepidation, right? I'm moving this direction and the conversation with God kind of looked like this. God said, I want you to do this. You need to step in this direction. I'd say, yeah, but what about this? What about that? What about what I've seen? What about this that happened? What about this problem, right? And God's answer was the same every time. I didn't love the answer, but the answer was, trust me. (laughs) I said, I believe in you. I know you. What's the big deal here? But God was changing my life and he was teaching me a different way of living. And he was teaching me to trust him really and to follow and move in the direction of what he had designed me to do. Now, I imagine that many of you have had those kind of conversations with God. I think it's part of following Jesus. You know, not everybody's going to be called to become a pastor or missionary. That's not the calling for everybody, but the calling for everybody is to grow in him and to do things that require different kinds of motivation. And so um, as we enter this chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul writing to this kind of immature church. They're not very mature. Remember, they've been Christians for about five years. And he's telling them, you guys are still acting like you're not even Christians yet. You're acting like the culture outside the church. Jesus is trying to change you to become a different kind of culture in the church. You're not doing it. So he's challenging them throughout this whole letter about how to grow, how to step up, how to be changed by Jesus. And this chapter is different. It's, it's interesting. He kind of shares with them from his heart, his own story, a little bit of where he's at, how he does what he does. And there's part of it, he's kind of defending himself to them a little bit. Some of them don't really believe him or don't want to listen to him. But beyond that, I think he's setting a bar for them about how Jesus wants them to live, how they need to find following him and growing in him, right? Right. And so one of the things that Paul starts off with here in this first bit of the chapter is that there's a different motivation that has to be in place for us to do God's work. The motivations uh, for the things in the world aren't going to work. And so one of the first things he deals with here is that money is not the motive for the mission. Follow along as I read this, a little bit of a chunk here, so follow along, hang with me. This is interesting, though, there's a lot in here as Paul writes this church in Corinth. See if some of this doesn't connect or resonate with you. He starts off this way. He says, am I not as free as anyone else? Am I not an apostle? That's a position, right? The leaders of the church, the early church. Haven't I seen Jesus our Lord with my own eyes? I'm different, right? I'm distinct. Isn't it because of my work that you belong to the Lord? Even if others think I'm not an apostle, certainly, or I certainly am to you. You yourselves are proof that I am the Lord's apostle. This is my answer to those who question my authority. He goes on, don't we have the right as apostles, right, as leaders, don't we have the right to live in your homes and share your meals? Don't we have the right to bring a believing wife with us as other apostles? and the Lord's brothers do, and as Peter does? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have to work to support ourselves? Verse 7, what soldier has to pay his own expenses? What farmer plants a vineyard and doesn't have the right to eat some of its fruit? What shepherd cares for a flock of sheep and isn't allowed to drink some of the milk? Am I expressing merely a human opinion, or does the law say the same thing? For the law, Moses says, you must not muzzle an ox to keep it from eating as it treads out the grain. Was God thinking only about oxen when he said this? Wasn't he actually speaking to us? Yes, it was written for us. So that the one who plows and the one who threshes the grain might both expect a share of the harvest. Since we have planted spiritual seed among you, Aren't we entitled to a harvest of physical food and drink? If you support others who preach to you, shouldn't we have an even greater right to be supported? But we have never used this right. We would rather put up with anything than be an obstacle to the good news about Christ. Don't you realize that those who work in the temple get their meals from the offerings brought to the temple? And those who serve at the altar get a share of the sacrificial offerings. In the same way, the Lord ordered that those who preach the good news should be supported by those who benefit from it. Yet I have never used any of these rights. And I'm not writing this to suggest that I want to start now. In fact, I would rather die than lose my right to boast about preaching without charge. Yet preaching the good news is not something I can boast about. I'm compelled by God to do it. How terrible for me if I didn't preach the good news. If I were doing this on my own initiative, I would deserve payment, but I have no choice. For God has given me this sacred trust. What then is my pay? It is the opportunity to preach the good news without charging anyone. That's why I never demand my rights... When I preach the good news, Paul, an apostle called by Jesus, he's called to minister, he's called to reach people, and he has a different kind of motivation. In other places, when he talks about his testimony, you know, his motivation was to excel. It was to become great in, uh, as a Pharisee and as a religious leader in Israel. In fact, within the Jewish people, I mean, he was getting close to the top. Um, he was outstanding. He knew the chief priest. He was, he was doing some impressive work. He was getting recognized as a leader. He was motivated to excel, to be important. He was motivated towards greatness. But now Jesus has gotten a hold of his life. And Jesus is changing him and has changed him regarding what he's supposed to be doing and what he's motivated by. And so he points out to this church in Corinth, listen, guys, I have all kinds of rights that I could demand, I could take advantage of, right? But he actually indicates that he takes some pride in not taking advantage of those rights so that he can accomplish the mission. So he's not an obstacle. You know, the interesting thing is that money and ministry can get things mixed up, right? That can get entangled in a way that it can create confusion. It can even cause hurt. I mean, there's a lot of ministries and down through time, people that have kind of uh, um, been dishonest, right? And, and I still hear at times, uh, a pastor somewhere or a church somewhere, somebody gets caught embezzling money and, and they, they have to get reprimanded or step down. I've been a part of a church where somebody was doing that and it kind of got exposed and it causes a lot of people to, to not have trust, right? And to wonder, what is this thing all about? And so money and ministry can get mixed up and it can cause uh, people to question what's really behind what happens in the church. What is this gospel all about? And Paul says, listen, I've taken some extreme measures, right? My motives are, are pure, they're right. And so I do things the way I do them so you won't get confused, so you won't have a charge against me, and so I'm not an obstacle to you in, in this work. I've seen people really get confused and frustrated and, and uh, hurt even by the way money and ministry go together. It's interesting when I got to this church, um, one of the things that Mitchell Breen has done throughout the years to try to not have money become the focus is we don't take an offering. Maybe you noticed that, but we don't pass the offering plate in service, right? And um, it's a little different. I mean, I've been around other churches that do that, but part of the reason we don't do that is just simply that. We don't want people to think that all we want out of everybody is their money, because for some people, that's a big obstacle, and so you're able to come in and not feel like you got to pay to hear a sermon, right? That's not what we're about, and when our pastors and, and people in our church, ministry leaders and stuff, we counsel people or meet with people or help people, we're not charging them for that, right? We're able to just say, hey, Uh, We can do this uh, out of service. Now, the reason we can do it obviously is because some people are committed to supporting this church and we've got a lot of people that on their own volition, based on what God's impressed upon them to do, they're very generous and very faithful and consistent to support this church and so we're able to do those things but we wanna be a place where people don't think um, that it's all about the money because it isn't. Quite frankly, there's no way I could do what I do um, if it was just about the money. it it just wouldn't be enough motivation. It's interesting how as you follow Jesus, he teaches you things. And if you really allow him to, um, he'll stretch you and grow you and shape you. And uh, though Paul starts off in this first section, kind of teaching them about the role that money plays and how it's supposed to work, and also just encouraging them that he isn't about that. He really has taken another job. He works another job so that he doesn't have to uh, so they don't have to feel like, you know, they're, they're paying him for what he does. And, and he's really developed and built his life around a model that would allow him to reach a lot of people and start a lot of churches and move quickly. And he really does. One of the most effective leaders in all of history. Um, and he's after a mission that he has uh, grown to understand is, is absolutely at the pinnacle of what matters in this life. And so he's motivated out of a service, a desire to serve God to love others. And next, as we move through this chapter, we see another level of um, motivation. See, not only is he not motivated by money, but he grows to be motivated to do something else. As he grows and as he learns and as God shapes him, what he begins to realize is that the mission itself, the mission to reach other people, that mission motivates extreme sacrifice in his life. Let's keep reading in verse 19. He says, even though I am a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who follow the Jewish law, I too lived under that law, even though I'm not subject to the law. I did this so I could bring those uh, those who are under the law to Christ. When I'm with the Gentiles, who do not follow the Jewish law at all, I too live apart from the law, so I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God, I obey the law of Christ. When I'm with those who are weak, I share their weakness, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessing or blessings. Um, again, Paul has moved. <laughs> he raises the bar even more for them. He says, not only am I not motivated by money, not only am I not demanding my rights, which I could, not only am I sacrificing, I've moved to another level of living which represents extreme sacrifice for Paul. Paul had, again, who he was was uh, in, in within his life before Jesus. He was a powerful, aggressive, competent, strong person who was moving forward and not in an easy culture to move forward and not in an easy group. To be a Pharisee was a high bar and he was doing it with precision and excellence and drive and power and force. He was even going after the Christians, right? And and going after them and trying to imprison and sometimes even kill them. He was so forceful and so powerful. A person who can take life has a lot of power, a lot of drive, a lot of force within them. Paul was the pinnacle of human power, and yet he's made some adjustments. And let me tell you, these adjustments require extreme sacrifice from him. He is living in such a way that though he's free, independent, self-driven, self-led, as he meets people, as he goes throughout the Roman Empire and travels and meets people, guess what he does to them when he, when he encounters them? You know, Paul was a tent maker. Maybe you've heard this. He made tents, repaired tents. That was his job. That's how he made money. And so whether he's in the marketplace interacting with people in that way, in that context, whether it's at the temple where he'd go to meet some of the Jews and preach the gospel, whether it was um, as he was living, buying food, whatever he was doing, he'd encounter people, just like you and I do. And what he's saying here is that each person I encountered, I'm not, uh, um, I'm not beholding to anybody. I'm independent. I'm, um, I, I only follow Jesus. I answer to him. I'm under nobody's authority. But every person I encounter, I choose to become their slave. I'm going to find out how to serve them. I'm going to find out what their needs are. I'm going to connect with them. If they're a Jewish person, I'll connect with them. If they're living under the law, right? I'll connect with them. I'll get on their level. If they're a Gentile, Jews and Gentiles, right? They don't mix. They don't go together. They live different kinds of lives. They act differently. Paul's like, I'm gonna get on the level of a Gentile. And here's probably the most challenging one. If they're weak, if they're a weak person, poor, mental illness, struggling, I'm gonna get on their level. I find commonality with them. I set aside what I have the rights to, I set aside who I am, and I come under each person. Why do I do it? so I can win him over. So I can win him over to Jesus. He recognized this calling, this mission that he was called into. It was so compelling, it was so powerful that he gave himself to it 100 percent, and he, he kept going further. He kept taking steps. Uh, uh, of greater sacrifice to become more effective at it in the NIV new international version which I like to read and um, uh, at times has the word win in this passage five times and it reminds me that you and I are called to win at the mission we're called to win we're not called to lose at trying to reach our community for Christ we're not here to lose at it and we're not here just to try at it we're here to win And so Paul kept finding ways to change and adjust his life so that he could win anybody and everybody. He didn't run into one person that he didn't have a strategy to win them over. And he was very successful at it. Now, he didn't win everybody. I love how he says, you know, I'm doing all this so that I can win some. He recognized not everyone was gonna respond, but he was so driven, so motivated, and so willing to sacrifice To reach them that he continued to find ways to push past his discomfort, his preference, what he wanted. He kept finding ways to push past that and sacrifice more so he could win more people over. I mean, I remember some of the first times uh, encountering people in situations that I was uncomfortable with. Maybe it was going into a city and being around people that were homeless and poor and struggling with addiction and mental illness, right? Kind of uncomfortable. Wasn't my sweet spot. Wasn't where I was really comfortable. I remember, um, you know, there's all kinds of people that, that challenge us and make us uncomfortable at times. And Paul says, listen, I pushed past all of those. I sacrificed more and more of myself, my preferences, my comfort zone to reach them. This is what should motivate us. The motivation to reach the world around us, to not demand and expect and, and, uh, and live for the things that we have rights to, the ways that we could live that fit inside how we like to live and what we're comfortable with. But this mission calls us to extreme sacrifice. I wonder what you do when life gets tough and things are pressing in and there's more pressure, there's more to do, there's more stress. Do, what do you have a tendency to give up? What do you have a tendency to sacrifice in your life? Do you have a tendency to sacrifice those arenas where there isn't any money involved, where there isn't any real payoff, where it costs you more than you get out of it? (laughs) By the way, that usually has to do with God's work because that's what it looks like. Do you have a tendency to sacrifice those areas and say, well, I just don't have time to do that right now. We're gonna take a break from serving in that area or doing that. We just don't have time. We got more going on. We got too much. We just gotta, right? Or do you have a tendency to find other areas in your life to sacrifice so you can continue to do more of the mission? I know it's a challenge. I'm not trying to get on you. I just, that, that's what Paul has done. He's recognized that this mission is what matters most, and so he keeps finding more ways to do it. How can I give up other things? How can I adjust my life? How can I sacrifice more? This is what Jesus calls us to, give up more. I can tell you that my life following Jesus and answering the calls that he's put on my life has made me extremely uncomfortable and uh, it's been extremely difficult, right, to step into each and every step along the way. And I would expect you've felt some of those same things. If, you, if you've listened to the voice of God calling you, challenge you, right? i just talking to somebody this morning here that um, where they work, they've been challenged with a couple of individuals they need to talk to. And it's a rough neck place to work, right? It's kind of hard talking to these people. But this guy was like, I, I know I need to do it. I need to reach out. I need to connect with them. I need to let them know that I follow Jesus and that I want to have that kind of relationship and, and I want to connect with them. He said, it was hard. It's uncomfortable. I don't know how they're going to respond. But just recently took that step. I just had to do it, right? I wonder if you feel that same kind of, man, God's speaking to you, right? There's a place, there's a person, somebody, a neighbor, a coworker, somebody. I, got, I need to talk to him. I know I need to reach out but I'm scared. I'm not sure how it's going to go. I'm uncomfortable. That's what it looks like to follow Jesus. But to win at this, hear me, to win at this mission means we put down those things. We say, listen, I'm willing to be uncomfortable, right? I'm willing to be obedient. I got to sacrifice more. This is how Paul is living his life. And listen to this immature church in Corinth. (laughs) This is a challenge, right? Right? He's been talking to them about some basic things, some little things about their behaviors, what they should do, what they shouldn't do. And all of a sudden in this chapter, he just blows their minds. He sets a high bar and a high challenge, but he knows that that's where they can arrive. That's where they need to be headed. The last thing we see in this passage is that not only does the mission change our motives, Right, it changes us fundamentally. What we're willing to do, what we're called to do, what we're willing to adjust in our lives, what we're willing to give up—that also, what Paul shares next is that this mission motivates strict training. I love this passage; one of my favorite in all the Bible, verses twenty-four through twenty-seven. This is what he says regarding this strict training and his pursuit of the mission. He says, "Don't you realize?" That in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. So run to win. <laughs> run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. In his day, right, the, the Greek games, the um, you know, they would run, they get a little wreath on their head of leaves. Like these people are running to get this little wreath crown. It's going to fade away. He goes on to say this, but we do it for an eternal prize. So what does he do? How does he live? How does he organize his life? Verse 26, he says, so I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. Shadow boxing. Uh, Pastor Luce just started a boxing club down in, town with some young people I said man you're there's two sports in scripture they're right here running and boxing so if you want to really be spiritual make your exercise line up with Jesus boxing or running right but uh, not really but Paul uses these examples because they're relevant to the people and they're relevant for us too and he says listen this kind of discipline the way of living your life an athlete has to get disciplined they have to go into training and so this is what he's doing. He's like, I don't run the race. And he's talking about spiritually. I don't just do it randomly. And I'm not just beating the air with boxing. Like I'm not just, you know, randomly swinging my, my fist. Like there's purpose in it. There's discipline in it. There, I'm after something. I'm doing things that matter. I'm building up my life. I'm making sure that I'm spiritually strong. And here he, he goes into why. He goes, I discipline my body like an athlete. I take the same approach. Training it to do what it should. He's talking about his behavior here. He's talking about his holiness, how he lives his life. He's like, I've got to stay out of some arenas. They represent sin for me. And so I'm going to train myself to live as I should. I'm not going to dabble in things that I shouldn't. I'm going to make sure I stay away from that. I'm going to walk the line. I'm going to pursue godliness so that I have an effective minister here. So that I'm effective at sharing the gospel. He goes on to say this, otherwise... I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. Powerful words. Powerful challenge. Living the Christian life isn't just a random thing that we try to do. Um, every once in a while I ask people, if you were to die tonight, you were to go stand before God. And he were to say, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? And a lot of times I get an answer that sounds something like this, because I'm trying to do what he wants me to do. I'm trying to live better. I'm trying to be obedient. I'm trying, God, I'm trying. And listen, there's nothing wrong with that. That's not how we get into heaven, fortunately, because our trying falls way short of anything that God, or of what God expects of us. He's measuring us according to his character. And so, trying isn't going to get it done. It's only in and through Jesus right? His sacrifice, his payment for my sin. When I trust in him, that's how I get to heaven. The only answer is because I put my trust in Jesus, your son, and his death on the cross for me. That's why I, the only way I could get into heaven. But when it comes to trying, a pastor I listen to, I love listening to, he challenges me. One of the things he said within this last year is we need to quit trying because when we say trying, I'm trying, we're allowing ourselves to fail even before we start, it's like, okay, well, I'm going to try. And, and he said, we got to stop trying and we got to start training. Training is with purpose. Training means I have a plan. I have a schedule. I'm doing specific things to make sure that I'm getting built up. You know, we have discipleships groups here. And one of the groups that I'm in with some men, we're memorizing some scripture. Scripture memory should be a part of your life because when you're memorizing it, then you can meditate on it. Meditating is focused thinking. You can allow that scripture. It's gonna run through your mind. It's gonna run through your heart. The Holy Spirit's gonna use it. It's gonna come to mind when you need it and it's gonna help you grow. And so uh, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11, we're memorizing this. I'm gonna read it. Obviously, I'm working on memorizing it, but this is what it says. No discipline, that's training, by the way. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening It's painful, but afterwards there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. See, Jesus wants to train you. Uh, uh, Fathers, men, could I just speak to you for a minute? Again, we need spiritual leaders in our homes, in our church, in our community. We need spiritual leaders. And men, if we're going to be spiritual leaders, we got to go into training. It's not just gonna randomly happen. And we can't just try, okay? I'm not trying to discourage you by that, but, but Paul here in this chapter, is raising the bar. He goes, I don't just try. I got a purpose behind everything I do. And I don't, I don't take the back seat when it comes to my spiritual life. I'm not just taking it easy. I'm not sitting on the couch and eating chips when it comes to my spiritual life. I'm in training. That's why we have discipleship groups here. Because I don't know about you, but I need some accountability. I need to be with some other men who are also being or in Or training. If I don't have that, then I might sleep in. I might take it easy. I might not get up and exercise spiritually. And so um, this is why we have discipleship here and we focus on it. It's because you're going to need some support, but we have it here. You can get it here. And I want to call you to that because men, we live in a time of great upheaval in our world of spiritual battle. I mean, The enemy is coming after you, your family, your kids. It's intense. It's maybe more intense than it's ever been. But I also want to give you some encouragement that at the same time, as I sit back and look at our country and look what's going on, and as crazy as it gets and as much evil seems to come to the surface, I'm seeing some incredible pushback. I'm seeing some men rise up and say, no. Do you know that it's loving to say no? Do you know that? Can I get an amen? It's loving to say no to evil. It's actually loving to rise up and fight against evil. That's loving. That's compassionate. And that's leadership. And God's calling the men of this generation to rise up and not just be passive like we've been told to be, not push back and don't be assertive and don't say anything, but we're supposed to step into the battle. And we're supposed to risk a little bit because at times we're going to get spanked. (laughs) Or we're going to get, you know, disciplined. It could cost us. But see, that's the answer when the world is looking and evil is on the rise. Is that men who love God have to say no. In love. Truth in love. Like we're not mean. We're not angry. But we're saying no to evil. We're fighting against it. Protecting our families. Protecting our communities. That's the role that we're in. And that's the role that we need to play. And and we live in a time where it's more important than ever. And so I just want to call you out, man, don't don't be passive, don't be complacent. Like God has built into you the capacity for greatness when it comes to leading spiritually. He's put it in you, he's designed you for it, and he's willing to come into your life in the form of the person of God, the Holy Spirit, to empower you, to give you the strength to stand when you feel weak, to be courageous when you're not sure that you really are, right? Right? It's okay not to feel those things, but we're called to act out of obedience to God, to fill our role and to step into the battle. And we certainly are in a time of great battle. But like I said, where there's great upheaval, there's also God at work and there's opportunities. And I think there's people around looking for someone who will step forward, who will be assertive with the truth in love and say no. No. That's what we're called to do. And you have it in you to do. This is, uh, and just evidence, I won't go into this a lot, but June is Pride Month, okay? And Pride Month has been something that's happened for a long time. And I've really never seen a lot of pushback on Pride Month. Um, It's just been happening. And uh, there's a lot of pushback on Pride Month right now. And again, to some people, they feel like that's hate, but it's not. It's love. It's lovingly saying no. We're going the wrong direction. We're headed in a destructive direction. And so I just want you to know there's hope. Be encouraged. Like you're not alone as a man or a woman. But today's Father's Day, I'm speaking to the men, stepping into that role and being courageous and, and um, filling the calling that God's placed on your life. We do get discouraged, we get beat down, we get tired. And we need to pay attention to that. We need to find encouragement, find our strength in God. Go into training. Grow yourself spiritually. Make sure that you're getting strengthened. Your spiritual muscles, right, are getting strengthened. And you're finding more strength to step up and step into the role that God's called you to. It's who you are. It's your destiny before God. He made you. He knows who you are. Be a man. Be a godly man. God, thank you for calling us to follow you and uh, giving us that challenge through a great leader in the Apostle Paul who dedicated his life to you and he learned the right motivations. He put aside the motives and the rights that he had in order to serve to win at the mission and and he began to learn to sacrifice in extreme ways to give up more so he could win more. And then he disciplined his life around spiritual growth and around his relationship with you so that he had the power and the strength to live out his calling. God, I just pray that over each man in this room, each man in our church. Father, you've called us out to be leaders and I pray you'd equip us and empower us and help us to say yes to you, say yes to your calling, allow you to work in us and through us to bring about the changes that you want in our world. So there's hope for this generation and for the future. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.